Thank you. Well, it's awesome to, to be back here with you all for this Sunday and to be able to dive into to the Word. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles and you'd like to open with us, I'm going to start in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And I'm going to open us up to in a word of prayer while you find your way there. But dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, God. We praise you. We lift your name high. We thank you for this opportunity that we woke up with, with breath in our lungs, that we still have life, and we still have more to give, and we still have more to live for, to share your word and your love with others, and to experience you more powerfully, more intimately, that would move us to engage, to love, and to press upon people, and to be a part of your great commissioning. So Lord, we just thank you, God, that we are here to worship and glorify you, but we are also here to worship and glorify you the rest of today and the rest of this week. It's not just about Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, but it's 24-7. Worship and glory for you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. All right, well, in Mark chapter 1, verse 40... We are gonna, we're going to kind of actually you know, look at three different kind of sections here of stories and encounters with Jesus. The first one will be in Mark 1, the second one will be in Luke 7, and the, the third one will be in Matthew 20. But what we're going to look at is the divine appointments of Jesus. And so Jesus himself kind of sets the way and paves the way for divine appointments, divine encounters, where he encountered people on his way. So oftentimes we read stories about where he would show up in a town in a village and he would, he would meet people, encounter people, heal people, cast out demons, speak, preach, teach, do the whole thing. And then other times when he was on the way from that town to another town, it would say on the way he encountered this person. So Jesus was doing ministry and experiencing these divine appointments, these God-given encounters that he had, uh, both in the towns but also just on the way which would be equivalent of you know, us just running errands, out and about, going from point A to point B, that there could be people in our paths that God wants us to speak to, to pray for, to encounter, and to bring Jesus into those interactions. There could be people at your workplace or in your homes or wherever it may be that God gives us this opportunity to kind of see and experience what Jesus brought to the table for his divine appointments, and then how do we apply that to our own lives in 2024? And so that's what I'm excited to, to share on is this divine appointments. And really what I've learned in, in pressing in and, and you know, researching and interviewing people and, and, and writing the, the two books that are in the back are on this topic of divine appointments. And so much of that is this stretching of our comfort zone and being willing to step out of the comfort and into some of the discomfort or this potentially social awkwardness, but knowing that God's going to be up to something good. So let's take a look here and, and let's look at what Jesus does here in, Ma in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 45, where it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. He said, If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And then it says, Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with this stern warning, Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and, on, uh, instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. 
Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, by the way, that that might be the one area of disobedience that Jesus is, is a little bit more lenient on. When he's touched you, healed you, and you go out and just tell everybody and start raving about Jesus. As this guy clearly couldn't hold it in. As you can imagine, somebody that that's, has leprosy, it's a social death sentence amongst all the other kind of physical ailments on top of it. There's no way out of this thing. And so here he is getting healed by Jesus himself, and then just goes off and, and tells everybody. And it said, as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. So a couple things I want you to catch, and even in this first testimony that we read with Jesus and the man with leprosy, is that it says that the man asked, if you are willing, is that there is a willingness to divine appointments. We have to be willing to step out of the comfort zone. We have to be willing to step into a little bit of the unknown, the unfamiliar, But if we are willing, that's where Jesus comes in. And also says Jesus was moved by compassion, and he touched him. A couple other key components that we're going to look at later on this morning is compassion, being moved by compassion in particular, and why that's so powerful. And then also the physical touch of being near to people and drawing close to people and letting them know that you're not afraid, you're not intimidated, you're not overwhelmed, you're not distracted, but you're actually pressing into a personal encounter with them. And we see something kind of similar when we jump to to Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 17, this is where Jesus raises a widow's son. So in Luke chapter 7, it says, Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. So again, Jesus is just on the way. He's on the way somewhere here. It says, The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Is that Jesus, when he saw people, and he saw people in need, whether it be hungry, sick, or in this case, dead, or, or mourning the loss of a son, Jesus was always stirred by compassion. and He was moved by compassion, with his heart overflowing with it. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin, and he touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept over the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people today, and the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. So again, here we even see that part of these divine encounters that Christ would have is that the, the main message and the main outcome that people realized from this was that God has visited his people today. When Jesus had an encounter with somebody, they knew God has visited me today. Why? Because there was such deep transformation from such a brief encounter that there was only one explanation, and it was that God was in this thing. 
look what the Lord has done. So it was this undeniable experience and encounter with Christ, overflowed with compassion, including the touch, and leaving them with a knowing experience of God. And we see something similar in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 through 34, this is where Jesus heals two blind men. And it says, As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began to shout, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Which, as you can imagine, like these two blind guys, they've heard the stories. They've heard the experiences. They know that this man, Jesus, that they've been hearing about, has been healing people right and left. He has been healing everybody in large crowds. And we see in other scriptures, it says, many came to him and he healed them all of various diseases and sicknesses. So his word, the word had spread, and these blind men knew that if this is the Jesus everybody's been talking about, this is our chance. If we're going to regain our sight, if we're going to go from being blind to seeing, this is the man, this is the time. So when crowds are telling them, be quiet, they're just going to roar even louder to get Jesus' attention. And it says, when Jesus heard them, he stopped and called, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them. Again, compassion. And he touched their eyes. Instantly they could see. Then they followed him. And so we have these, these, and this is just three of many encounters and many experiences that we know of Christ, having these divine appointments where God, and for, what, for us, that's when God puts somebody in your path that he intends for you to speak to, for you to share with, for you to pray over, for you to share your testimony with, for you to share the love of Christ with. And again, many of these encounters were just happening on the way from one village to the next, from one city to the next. As you head from Covina to Azusa or Azusa to West Covina or to Laverne, is that there's people in those cities and on the way to those cities that God has in store for us. And this is why I think that it's so important and so powerful for us to be reminded that Jesus is the one that we're supposed to follow. It's his life and his testimony that we're supposed to imitate. And I realized this lesson as a professor. Uh, I discovered it and, and titled it the, the First Presenter Problem. And I had this class in particular where throughout this, in the, the course of this uh, semester, they were, they were assigned into groups. The students were in groups, and then their group would present. And so the, the, all the presentations didn't happen the same day, but over the course of several weeks. And so there might be one or two presentations per day uh, and kind of scattered throughout. And I had this big, long assignment description that I wrote, typed out, handed to them, gave to them. I talked through the assignment description saying this is what the presentation should look like. This is what the presentation should not look like. I was so specific on what I was hoping and desiring, the level of creativity that I was wanting them to bring to the table, and, and just everything. Laid it all out. Had a grading rubric that then reinforced all of that and then sent them off to do these projects. And then I would realize semester after semester that when the first group, the first day of presentations came and those first two groups presented on that, those first days, I realized after a couple of semesters that whoever presented on the first day set the tone for all of the other future presentations. It was as if all the other students sat and watched the first days of presentations. They threw my assignment instructions out the window, 
watched this group and was like, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. So if that first day was bad, then all the presentations were going to be bad. And to the point where I eventually, like, if the first presentation days were bad, I would go to the, the groups that were going the next day, and I'd be like, okay, I need to talk to you for a second here. Like, what you saw today, don't do that. Go back to the assignment instructions. Go back to the assignment description. And it was this first presenter problem that as humans, we are hardwired to, to kind of mimic, to mimic others and to look for other leaders that we should follow. And what happens is that when we get called into Christianity, oftentimes Christianity becomes to us whatever it was to the first presenter, to the person that introduced it to us. So if you grew up around lukewarm Christians that didn't really take their faith that seriously and, and Christianity to them was just church on Sunday and praying before meals and praying for your, your sports team, then that's what Christianity became to you. You're like, oh, I guess this is just what we do. And that's what happened for me for the first 25 years of my life. I thought, you know, Christianity was just church on Sunday, mass on Sunday. And then, you know, we, we pray this memorized prayer before meals that takes us about seven seconds. Uh, and then we kind of pray for some, you know, events that might be happening. Uh, and, and then that was it. And then I realized that as I started to kind of grow and get into different circles with different people and different Christians, and as I met my, my wife's family, who were all you know, pastors and missionaries and, and really had a rich spiritual heritage of these miracle signs and wonders and evangelism and all sorts of things, I was like, whoa, like, what is this? I mean, I even remember the first time I showed up to a, to a church uh, when I was 23, and, and it was the first time I'd been to a church where people had you know, brought Bibles. I was like, whoa, people have Bibles? And I was like, oh, and you guys read them? No way. This is incredible. Okay. And it began to open my eyes like, whoa, maybe this thing is so much more than I had anticipated. And it was a result of that was because of the first presenters. The people that introduced me to the faith weren't walking it out and had never had anybody introduce them to it. So we have to be so careful in terms of who we're using as our example that we're trying to imitate and we're trying to mimic in this faith. And that's why Jesus says that, that in Mark 1.17, he says, come follow me and I will show you how to be fishers of men. He says, come follow me. So many times he's alluding to follow me, follow my ways, do as I do. In Mark 8.34, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Anybody that clings to this life will lose it, but anybody that gives up their life for my sake will find it. And in 1 John 2.6, it says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Not as your friend does, not as your neighbor has done, not as that person in church has done, because they might be missing the mark entirely. Only follow them as if their lifestyle matches up with what you see with Christ. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So the Christians that you are imitating after, make sure it's because you see them as a good indication and a good imitation of Jesus Christ in 2024. Because I do get the challenge that sometimes we can read these stories in our context, in our lives, in our relationships, and everything else can look so different that it's hard to kind of bridge the gap between then and, and what that means for today. And there are people that do that beautifully, and those are the people that we want to imitate because I say, wow, look at their life. They're clearly imitating Christ, so let me follow them. Let me look and let me hear what this can sound like in today's context. 
Let me hear the way that they talk to people, the way that they introduce prayer to others, the way that they share their testimony, the way that they show they share Jesus. Let me look and listen to that because I do need, and it would be helpful to have an example in 2024 of what Jesus would sound like today in this context. So that's part of this process, and that's what I got so blessed to have with my father-in-law and with uh, several others that I began to get introduced to, these mighty men of God that actually looked and sounded like Jesus in the way that they act and conducted themselves and began to explore, how do I have these divine appointments and encounters for myself? Because part of my testimony is that I began to meet more of these kind of godly people that had these incredible stories that sounded and looked like the things that Jesus was saying and doing and experiences, and these crazy stories, and I was like, I don't want to miss out on that, but part of it was, too, that, like, you know, I'm, by nature, I'm more of an introvert, and, and so that became part of the struggle, is that even after researching this topic for, and, and writing about this topic, and thinking about this topic for now, I don't know, 12 years or so, uh, no longer than that, 12, 15, you know, 12 to 13 years or so, is that it's still a struggle. Every week, I still have to choose. Am I going to be introverted or do I have Christ in me? And in this moment, that's where we want to look at because we're going to look and kind of break this down. How do we make this practical to ourselves following the model of Christ to experience divine appointments of our own? And so we want to look at curiosity. And curiosity is important for us because we don't quite always have the gift that Jesus did, which was that he knew the hearts and minds of people. And we see in scripture that he even knew the things that the Pharisees were even thinking he knew what, was, what they were pondering in their heart and could respond to that. We don't always have that ability, so we have to be curious to find out what is in people's hearts and minds and going on there. Then we are able to have more compassion. The more we understand what's going on in people's lives, the more compassion we can have. But it does require a, a time of courage to step out and then that personal touch. And so starting with curiosity, it's simply living this lifestyle that, that Christ modeled and others have modeled as they imitate Christ is one of curiosity for people, of asking and wondering, God, you know, what's going on with them? You know, what's going on over there? What's happening in this person's life? What are they up to? You know, why? And it's, it's being also just curious observer of people. Like, why do they have that? They, have a, it looks, they look sad. They look defeated. They look withdrawn. They look isolated. What's going on there? And do I have the curiosity to go explore that? And so also knowing that where our curiosity comes from is that it comes from love. Is that if you think about a first love, a time where you were first falling in love with someone, that's when you're at your utmost like curiosity about this person. And you could stay up all hours of the night talking to them because you're curious and wanting to hear more and wanting to talk more. And even when you're away from them, you're like, I wonder what they're doing now. <laughs> and so you're just like, all this curiosity is flowing out of love and, and interest in this person. And it's the same way that we have with people today, God's sons and daughters. And, and we're curious about what's happening. And why we need to be curious is that there's this great quote from Henry Longfellow, who was a professor in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he said this, he said, if, if we knew the secret history of even our enemies' lives, we would likely find so much suffering and sorrow that it would disarm all hostility and instead produce compassion. So it's this idea that by being curious about people, by getting to hear people's 
prayer requests, by getting to hear people's lives, what's happening, what are they going through, how is this past season for you, is that you begin to find oftentimes sorrow and suffering and, and sometimes tragedy and, or heartache or uh, you know, whatever it might be, anxiety, pressure, stress, things that produce compassion. And then you realize that when they're acting out and they're being weird or they're being funny or whatever it is, it's not about you. And you can actually be free from taking it personally because you are curious enough to know the backstory that's producing those actions and those words. And it's not about me. And then I'm free to have the compassion. Even uh, some uh, guys that I got to know, we were kind of going out to the Azusa Metro and we'd go out kind of like every other Friday. We'd go out to the metro, and we'd take some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and some water bottles, and we'd kind of go and pass them around and, and, and just offer to pray for people. And, and if we had the opportunity then to, to share the gospel and, and, and kind of see where the conversation would go. And I remember one of these days, I'm with my friend Candelario, and we had kind of gone up to the security guard, and we were talking with him and praying for him. And while we were doing that, a woman had driven by and she had kind of pulled over and parked. And so as we were leaving him, she had stepped out of her car and she said, hey, I saw you guys praying for him and I was wondering if you could pray for me too. And we said, sure, absolutely, of course. Like, what, what's going on? And she began to tell us that she had a son that uh, had gotten really addicted to drugs and heroin and meth and the whole, whole, whole nine yards. And he was now homeless and he had been in and out of treatment centers. It had been this long ordeal that had put so much stress and strain on everybody and so much heartache in, in her and for her family. And she just wanted prayer for him. And she said that uh, on Fridays, she gets done with work a little bit earlier. And so she'll go from work when she gets out early and she'll drive around to metro stations just looking for her son. And it was just like this eye-opening moment like, wow. Like you would never come across this woman in the parking lot and think that, that that's not where your mind is going to go. That this heartbroken mother with a son that's addicted to drugs and is homeless is out driving around to different metro stations in the Los Angeles area just hoping to run into her son. But that curiosity produces great compassion and we have to pause and to hear the heart cry of people because people in, in our day and age in this time are not always going to be the people that are crying out, Jesus, son of David. Like you're not going to be sitting in a Starbucks and somebody's just randomly like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you're like, okay, I know what to do. It's not going to be that obvious. We have to actually slow down and stop and listen and, and hear what's going on for people. And, and sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm really pressing in and consistent with divine appointments. And then other times, you know, life happens and, and things are going on and, I, and I'm not as in tune and in touch. And so this, this happened to be one of those seasons where uh, that was happening. And so I just kind of made up my mind. I was like, okay, before I go home and I'm going to swing by Target and I'm not going to leave Target until I pray for somebody. I didn't even need anything from Target. Uh, but I got a shopping cart, and I put a couple things in there so I didn't look like a total lunatic. <laughs> and I just kind of walked around until I worked up enough courage to find somebody. And I went up to this woman, I said, that was working there, and she was kind of picking some stuff off, off the floor and putting it back on hangers. And I said, you know what, excuse me, uh, this might sound kind of random, but uh, I felt like God put it on my heart to, to pray for you. Is there anything that you need prayer for? And she immediately started crying. And she said, you know what, this has been... The, a really hard shift. I've only been here for a couple of hours, 
and I'm already trying, right now I'm trying to decide whether I should stay or whether I should just leave and go home. And she began to cry. And so I had this opportunity in that moment to just pray for her and, 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 and comfort her and, and be that point of compassion for her and point her to Christ and, and God and grace and mercy and, and strength for them, this moment. And she was so grateful. And then she went back to her work and I went back on my day. And it was just one of those moments where, again, it was being curious of, God, what are you up to? Who do you want me to reach out to? Who do you want me to pray for? And what, what's going to happen is that there's this entering this unknown space. But it, when we hear these stories, it produces great compassion. Because Jesus, this is the idea that compassion should produce action. If you're in a place where you can feel compassion, you can see somebody struggling and going through hardship and then just walk away without a single thought or worry or regret or remorse about it, then you might want to stop and reflect and do some deep dive on that. Because we should still, and, and people get compassion fatigue sometimes, is that if you are plugged in and reading the news too much, you can get compassion fatigue. Because there's just way too much happening all around the world that you can ever possibly put a dent in any of it, but you just feel overwhelmed, and then you feel stuck, and you're, you lose that sense of action. But when we live locally, and we think about the compassion that we can extend in our midst and in our circles, socially and, and close, and by, that's where we become active agents in God's mighty work. And so part of this is, is where does our compassion come from? It's knowing that I was once lost, but now I'm found. It's this idea of knowing that I was once blind, but now I see. And it's not blind physically, and now I see, but I was blind spiritually, and now I see. And, and so it's recognizing that I was once the one that was sick and injured, and I would have loved for somebody to stop me and pray for me and overcome the social awkwardness in that moment to be able to comfort me and to bring God and Jesus into that moment. So that's where the compassion comes from, is knowing, like, hey, I've been there. I've done that. I've had my own struggles. I've had my own problems. I've had my own hard days. I've had my own hard weeks or months or whatever it is. And now I'm stepping out because I was once there. And I know that when I was there, I would have loved for somebody to do this for me. And so I'm going to extend that now to others. And it's this idea that even uh, I had been, this was during the pandemic, and uh, I started getting these infections, and I ended up with, I don't know, five or six different infections over the course of like a year and a half, two years uh, in the pandemic. So I went to the hospital more in the pandemic than I had my whole entire life prior to that, which was the most ironic time, because uh, it's like that was the time where nobody's supposed to go anywhere, let alone to a sick, gross hospital. And I was like, I'm going to go every week. That's what I'm going to do. I'll see your no hospital visits, and I'll raise you by a weekly one. Um, so I, you know, I started kind of going in, but God would do these divine appointments. The more I was open to calls with receptionists or to nurses and doctors, and so at one point I had gotten another one of these infections, so I was trying to go in early to cut it off before it got more severe, and so I went into the ER, but it was at kind of like a, like a Friday night or something. It was a zoo, and I realized that uh, like these infections, they would come on, and if I caught it early, like, I'd be in pretty good shape with some antibiotics and things like that. If I didn't, then, like, my elbow had to get cut open and this whole thing. And, uh, and so I was trying to avoid that. But I also, at that moment, I still, I look very healthy. So I'm looking at this, like, ER, and I'm like, I'm never going to get seen. Like, I look way too healthy right now, if I'm being totally honest, in comparison. And so I was like, this is going to take forever. They were like, if you just come back in the morning, you, can, you, you know, first thing in the morning, you can get right in. 
And so I was like, okay, I'll do that. And as I started to kind of leave, I felt this prompting like I should pray for somebody in that, that um, ER room. And I was kind of walking back towards my car. And so, you know, I just kind of had been, you know, exercising this and doing this. And it was kind of uncomfortable because I was like, what are people going to, you know, the thoughts of like, what are people going to think? Is this going to be awkward? Is this going to step on somebody's toes? Is this whatever, you know, the enemy speaks all these lies to keep us from ever stepping out. And I was like, you know what, all right, I'm just going to go back and, and I'm going to see, you know, if there's somebody available for, you know, for prayer. And so I walk back in and right as I get to the kind of the line for the ER had gone out the door. And, and so right as I walked up, there was a woman that uh, was leaning up against the door. And right when I walked up, she starts panting and holding her chest and she starts to like slide down this door and there happened to be a chair right there. So right as I walked up, that's happening. I just grab the chair, slide it underneath her. She sits right down into the chair and as she's kind of panicking, other people are stirring, and people are starting to kind of rush around. And I simply asked her, like, ma'am, would it be okay if I prayed for you right now? And she just, like, nodded yes. And so I prayed for her, and she went from, like, total panic to, like, calm. I'm still with issues and things going on, but the, the atmosphere changed for her. And then the, the nurses and staff came over and started speaking to her. And then they started asking me questions because they thought I was, like, with her. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I just happened to show up. But it was in this moment of just responding to this prompting, going back, and God's timing was, was incredible. Walking up, otherwise she would have ended up on the floor and with, with nobody there that would have been able to, to do that. So it was these moments of, of stepping out. And then also with this idea of, of courage. So we've got curiosity, to get curious about what's going on in people's lives and how God might be using us to perhaps speak wisdom, speak life, pray, minister to, intercede for on their behalf. Then we've got this idea of compassion, that we've got to tap into the God-given compassion that he gave us to be able to be believers that can look out and say, these are sons and daughters or perhaps lost sons and daughters of God. That's a perspective that nobody else really gets on this earth but Christians to say that these are God's sons and daughters. Whether they are believers or they are lost, they are prodigal sons and daughters. But either way, they are made in the image of God, and that stirs great compassion right out of the gate. And then this courage and this idea that we need courage to be over to overcome the social awkwardness. Because in this day and age, we're so addicted to technology and all these other things that we can be so connected with people through our phone over great distances, but we can be so uh, far away from people emotionally that, we're, that are within arm's reach of us. And it creates this sense of we can't even turn and speak to one another. Even if you stand in line at Starbucks, it's like everybody's just on their phone. Like if you're the, you're the person just like trying to chat it up with people, then you're going to be the weirdo. Whereas like 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago, that's all you had to do was that you're standing in line. It's like, of course we're going to talk to each other. Are we just going to stare at each other's heads? Like, we didn't have phones. We didn't have all these other places we could go to. We could go to, a, you know, now we can go to a thousand different places in an instant on our phone. And we never have to interact and, and include and talk to and meet any of these people. But if we can be those people that they keep our phone in our pocket and just say, hey, I'm just going to introduce myself. I'm just going to say my name. But there's great social awkwardness. <clears throat> and part of this is that the fear of social rejection is at the base of this, is that we fear social rejection. And it was gotten so, we've become so hypersensitive to that that we've become too cautious to be effective for the kingdom of God. 
Because I don't want to say the wrong thing and that might turn somebody away. Or I don't want to step on their toes or who knows what they believe or maybe they might be offended by this. And now we've become too cautious to even be effective for God because we're so fearful of the social, potential social rejection. And we focus on the rejection rather than the potential breakthrough. And so the enemy gets us focused on the wrong things. He gets us overthinking things. Like, what am I going to say? I have to, whole, I have to work out this whole thing. How is this going to go? And as somebody that's stepped out and done this more and more and more over the last several years, is that sometimes you, you, have, you can go in with a game plan, and that game plan gets thrown right out the window after like 20 seconds. You're like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to say that. And then you say the very first thing, and you're like, it's gone. And it's like, God just wants you to be there and be present and respond to this person and be interactive with them and avoid the overthinking that happens. And, and, and that's a, a key part of it because sometimes we think, well, I'll, I'll start stepping out, you know, when I, you know, you don't, like when I read both of these books and then afterwards I'll finally start stepping out or I need to listen to these podcasts or I need to watch these videos or I need to go to this thing or go to that thing. And it's part of this is this realizing that oftentimes we have become these overfed sheep that never actually go out and, and do the work of the Lord. And we've got to be careful that that's not us. And so it's this idea that with these, what we really need is 20 seconds of courage. The hardest part about divine appointments is simply starting the conversation. And all you really need is just 20 seconds of courage to get over that hump, to initiate the conversation, to put out your hand for a handshake, to introduce yourself, to share your name. And then oftentimes you see that the conversation flows out of that. And then you see if there's a point where, hey, I know that you mentioned this. Would it be okay if I prayed about that before, we, before, we, before you head out of here? And it's just simply looking then for opportunities to bring God into the conversation. And then rather from just having good conversations, we have godly conversations. As we overcome the, the, the hesitancy and the hold back of things, and we begin to see God move. And even one of these times was when... I was in San Diego, and, and I was kind of preparing for, for something. I was at a hotel, and I was working from a Starbucks in the hotel that morning. And as I noticed this, uh, the worker at the table, or at the counter, she had taken my order, and you know, I had my own exchange with her, and as I listened to her interact with other people, she was just very, you know, very, you know she's kind of a bright light just there, just kind of joyous and pleasant to be with and, and very interactive with people. And so I prayed, like, God, do you want me to share anything with her this morning? And so after some time of prayer, God really put on my heart, you know, a few things to share with her. And so I was like, okay, now I just got to work up the courage to actually say this and approach this. And so I even, uh, you know, I got up, kind of move around, walk around a little bit, get rid of some of the anxious energy. I even went to the restroom, gave myself a pep talk. And so I'm just being real with you. It's like, you know, it's not always just like, the man of God is here. Like, what's up? It's sometimes... It's like I'm gonna, you know, like I'm just like, oh man, what? How? Please, God, help me. And and so that was part of it. And then finally, you know, kind of go over to her, and and you know, there's a break in the action in the line, and said, hey, uh, you know, I, as I was kind of watching you, I was praying and just seeing if, if you know, this might sound kind of random, but it felt like God, you know, gave me something to share with you. And uh, you know, I had said that. I feel like, you know, the impression that God gave me was just like seeing you and then seeing like these clouds with this break of sunshine just shining down upon you and how God just loves watching how you interact with people here. 
And God really appreciates and, and just loves the way that you are intentional with people. You're kind and gracious with people. And God loves to watch you work here because of the, the uh, mentality and the, uh, the uh, emotional connection that you bring to each of these little conversations. And I asked her kind of if she was a Christian. She said no. She'd been to church a little bit when she was young but hadn't in, a, in quite a long time. And so I said, well, uh, the other thing that God put on my heart to share was that when I first started dating my wife, we were friends for three and a half years. Uh, we actually went out on a really horrible first date that sent us into three and a half years in the friend zone. And then when I went to make my triumphant exit out of the friend zone, um, you know, I just kind of knew, like, if she, if she would just be willing to give it a chance, all I need is just a chance. And uh, she originally shot me down. Uh, make a long story short, she talked to her, her mom, who I had known at that point, and her mom just told, told her, like, just give him a chance. And then when she gave me a chance, I told this woman, when she gave me a chance, we, we were engaged within six months. And we were, in, we were married six months after that. And I feel like what God's telling me is that all he wants is for you to just give him a chance. Just give him a chance. And you'll be amazed at what will happen in such a short amount of time. And then just had a quick opportunity to pray for her. But it was one of those little moments where it's just trying to overcome the social awkwardness, have 20 seconds of courage, and be able to speak and, and into somebody's life and to pray for them and to enter into that, that, that space of compassion. And then finally is that touch, is just realizing, like, are you willing to draw near to people and make time for people? Jesus often touched people, the blind eyes, the casket, the man with leprosy. It's getting within arm's reach of people and giving it a personal touch to let people know, like, hey, I'm not just going through the motions. Hey, I'm not just doing this out of obligation, but I'm doing this out of personal care and personal love and compassion. And so it's this idea of, you know, what would Jesus do for people if you were willing? When that, that man asked, you know, if you, will you, you could heal me if you were willing. Well, what would Jesus do for people if we were willing? If we were willing to overcome 20 seconds of awkwardness, to extend an opportunity for a conversation, for a prayer, for a sharing of a testimony, for a sharing of the gospel, what would God do if we were willing? Because oftentimes I'm reminded that so many times you hear people pray, you know, saying like, you know, why didn't God answer my prayers? Why didn't God do this? Why didn't God intervene? And, and, and God kind of reminded me of like, hey, you were the answer to that prayer. That oftentimes we're the answer to other people's prayers. That mother that was at that metro station looking for her son, perhaps one of us have actually walked right past him. And we could have been the answer to that mother's prayers. Somebody else that's praying for a husband that's never been to church and never been open to the gospel, perhaps one of us works with him. And if we were willing, we would be the answer to that person's prayer. It's putting things into perspective because God didn't call you to comfort. He called you to his kingdom. And our comfort is oftentimes the enemy of God's will. So we've got to be real, real, realizing that beyond our comfort zone is often where we experience God the most profoundly. The place of when you say, I want to experience God, if you have a desire to experience God, it's on the other side of comfort. It's in the uncomfortable. 
the fasting and praying. Oftentimes, if you experience breakthrough in times of fasting, it's uncomfortable. People experience breakthrough in sharing the gospel and sharing the faith and see somebody be led to Christ, but it was awkward and it was uncomfortable to start with. And we have to be willing to enter into that for the sake of other people because people's eternal lives are riding on this thing. The God gave us the great commission to go out and to make disciples of all people, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey the commands that he has given us. That's the responsibility that he gave us. And we've got to be willing to overcome the social awkwardness, overcome the, uh, the uncomfortable, and be able to step into that if we want to experience that. If we want to have these firsthand stories and experiences for ourselves as other people, when we hear other people's stories, we're like, wow, I wish God would use me that way. He will. If you would be willing to step out of your comfort zone and into the uncomfortable, he will use that. But it requires having great curiosity, being moved by compassion, by taking on 20 seconds of courage and being willing to touch people and let them know that I'm willing to get my hands dirty for Jesus Christ. Because I've been touched, I've been stirred, I've been moved. And if that's true, it's only natural result to step out and to share this thing with others. So that's where you get tested on what you truly believe. Is if you're willing to step out and share this thing with others. And so I just want to close with a, a word of prayer and kind of a commissioning for all. And so, in fact, I'm going to pull up the, the Matthew 28. And if you would, just go ahead and stand with me if you're, if you're able and I just want to pray a prayer over all of us, and then I'll kind of turn things over. I forget the next order of, of things happening. But I just want to pray uh, a prayer for all of us, that we would be reminded of this great commission for all those that, that claim Christ as Lord and Savior, that Jesus said, as he gave the, the great commissioning to the disciples, he gives that to us today. And it's to go out and to make disciples of all people. That could be neighbors, coworkers, somebody at 7-Eleven, somebody at Starbucks, somebody at Target or Walmart. Could be anybody anywhere, but it's just having eyes to see people the way that Jesus sees them, to hear people the way that Jesus hears them, to be able to hear the backstory and be driven by curiosity and hearing a bit, a portion, a small portion of their story that then wells up that compassion in us to share our own testimony of how God has touched our lives, how he's brought us through, and how what he's done for us, he can do for them too. And it's giving people an opportunity. That's what the Great Commission is. Simply go out and give people an opportunity to experience God. And if they experience God and they want to turn to him, then we make disciples. We baptize them and lead them into, we invite them to a church. If we're in a totally different city, hey, you know what, let me, can, it would be okay if I got your number. I'll look up some churches in the area, and I'll text you a church that you might want to check out. And, but leading people to that next step of baptism, of full surrender, and then teaching them to obey the commands that God has given us. And, and we can't do that with every single person we encounter, but I encourage you to just pray and say, God, who, who am I responsible for in this time? Who do you want to put on my heart that I'm responsible for? that I want to take responsibility in their life and in their devotion. And, I, and I've done that the last few months. I've got uh, three or four people that weekly I'm, pray, I'm sending text message prayers to. And I'll be honest, two of them that I, I, send, I send 
prayers in text message, audio prayers. I record them, send them in text to these people. They haven't responded to me in <laughs> like a month and a half. But I still keep sending them. They keep showing up as listened to or read. And so I just keep sending them. And then we entrust God to do the rest of the work because some plant, some water, but God makes them grow. So dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray over every single one of your sons and daughters that right now there is a clear calling on their life to take seriously the Great Commission in 2024 to go out and to give people an opportunity to experience God in us and through us. That we would be a vessel, we would be a mouthpiece for Jesus Christ, that we would be open to the Holy Spirit moving and flowing and and going through us in our thoughts and in our words. Lord, that you would stir our hearts, you would bring, uh, put names and faces in our minds that are people we need to take responsibility for of getting them back to church, back into a relationship, to see them go from a new believer to true discipleship. Somebody that we need to take responsibility for and set reminders to text, to call, to invite to coffee, to connect. We don't want to let any of them slip through the cracks. That You have given us those ones that have left the 99. Each one of us has a one in our lives that we need to go after. We need to be the responsible shepherd that says, that's my one. That's one that has slipped away from the 99. They're on my heart, and I'm going to say, not on my watch that we would be watchmen for Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. Send us out to go make disciples of all nations, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey the commands that you have given us. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that all God's people said, Amen. Amen.